Mother's Day, we want to focus upon what the Word of God teaches us concerning a mother's influence. And so if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs 31. If you are not yet there, Proverbs 31. The key verse for this morning's message is found in verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. Here the king is speaking, tells us in verse 1, the words of King Lemuel. Though the king is speaking, he is actually referencing the words of his mother. For it says, the oracle which his mother taught him. An oracle is that which is extremely valuable or weighty or of great importance. So here we see the value that King Lemuel places upon the advice that his mother had given him. He refers to it as an oracle. Now this Lemuel is a king. Who he is, we cannot say with any degree of certainty. There have been a lot of different names that have been offered, but uh, we don't need to know that. We know that this is a king that is seeking to convey godly advice. The word Lemuel is a word that actually means for God, for God. So here is a king that was for God, that had purposed to live his life to the honor and glory of God and to be used of God. And he credits where he is in his station in life to the advice that his mother has given. He is a king for God because of his mother's influence. Look with me at verse 2. Now he begins to reference his mother, and we find these words, What, O my son, and what, O son of my womb, and what, O son of my vows? The phrase, what, O my son, is actually an abbreviated form of saying, what shall I say to my son? What advice should I give? What is it that I ought to communicate to this child who eventually is going to become the king of Israel? What should I do? What should I say? What should I communicate? Those are very valuable questions for all of us to ask. As we think about rearing our children, what do we say? What do we do? How do we conduct ourselves? What is it that we want to communicate? What is it that they need to know? And so we're going to look at the advice that the mother gives. But before we do that, we ask the question, what right does this woman have to give advice to the king? Now, I said that uh, probably advice that was given while a child, but he is now a king, still looking to, still appreciating that advice, and perhaps still receiving advice from his mother. What right, what authority, what is there about the relationship that enables her 
and actually requires of her to give advice and counsel to the king. Well, there's actually three thoughts in verse 2 that explain the basis for that authority. The first stems from being his mother. Verse 2, what, O my son? It is the very nature of a mother's duty and privilege to give advice to their children. That is part and parcel of what a mother does. They don't just nurture. They just don't provide for their children physically. They, they just don't feed them. But they rear them, teaching them standards and values, goals, aspirations. Instills within them right thoughts and desires. So it stems from being a mother. That's true of all mothers. Whether it be a stepmother, an adopted mother, whatever the case may be, the mother has that responsibility and duty in caring for the children. The second stems from being a birth mother. Verse 2, and what, O son of my womb? So here the idea goes even a step further. And that is that uh, this is a, mo- uh, a mother and this is her, uh, her child in the sense that she gave birth to that child. And then thirdly, the right for a mother to give advice to her children stems from having dedicated them to the Lord. Notice the last phrase. And what, O son of my vows? What, O son of my vows? We could go to the... Uh, book of Samuel, look at Hannah, as she offered vows unto the Lord in the rearing of her children. We just heard this morning parents, mothers and fathers, who entered into vows regarding the rearing of their children. One needs to heed the advice and counsel of a mother. But how much more so when that is a godly mother, one who has dedicated their child to honor and serve God. Now, unfortunately, not all mothers dedicate their children to honor and glorify God. Unfortunately, not all mothers are good examples. And unfortunately, not all mothers lay before their children positive and righteous and holy goals. There's a story in the New Testament. It's rather a peculiar story. It's found in the book of Matthew. And listen as I read. Matthew 14, 3. For when Herod had arrested John, that's John the Baptist, he bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. This Herod wanted to kill John the Baptist, but was afraid to. Matthew 14, 5. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they regarded him as a prophet, that is, John the Baptist. Then the daughter of Herodias danced at the king's party. Matthew 14, 6. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased them. Now this daughter 
by usage of the word daughter in this particular uh, verbiage, refers to a young child, probably no more than 12 years of age, a young child that has been set before the party to dance. And she did a good job. And they're all praising her, and they're, they're taking pride in the good job that she did. And so Herod says to this little girl, 12 years of age or younger, you can have anything you want, honey. What would you like? Well, what comes out of her mouth just floors it. He never anticipated this 12 or younger little girl to say what she was about to say. Honey, what would you like? Anything you want, I will give you. And having been prompted by her mother, she said, her mother told her what to say. Her mother informed her what she should ask for. And having been prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. A 12-year-old girl saying, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I want him, I want him killed. And I want you to bring me his head and put it on a platter. A 12-year-old girl. Why would she ever, ever say or think or do such a thing? The text makes it very clear. She was prompted by her mother. Her mother's hatred for John the Baptist came out in this child. She instructed her child to hate, and she instructed her child to request the head of John the Baptist. And although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. And he sent and he had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. Picture this. This 12-year-old girl carrying a decapitated head on a platter, bloody, gory. I mean, I don't have to get too vivid here for you to think about the hideousness of this picture. And she comes and she presents it to her mommy to make her mommy happy. That's sad. And not only is it sad, it's perverted. Perverted. Perverted in the truest sense of the word. To make crooked that which is to be straight. She has led this child down a road that no child should ever go. And no child should ever have to experience. Well, it's with a heavy heart that I say to you that sometimes there are mothers that lead their children down roads they should never walk and lead them into experiences that they should never have to go through. A lot of misery, a lot of heartache, a lot of grief, a lot of sorrow. That's not what our passage is talking about. 
It's talking about a godly mother, one who has dedicated this child to the Lord, one that is a son of her vows, one that wants their child to please and honor and glorify God. That's the kind of mother we hope that we all have. That's the kind of mother I trust that each lady who is sitting here wants to be. And I really believe that's the case. And I'm thankful for our mothers. And I'm thankful for those that came this morning and are dedicating their children to the Lord. And so why do you follow the advice of your mother? Because she's your mother. Because she bore you. But most significantly, because she wants what's best for you to the honor and glory of God. Even as the very first question was, do you submit this child uh, to the Lord's will, whatever it may involve? So let's look at the advice that this mother gives. It's fourfold. We're going to go through these very quickly. And uh, they uh, are uh, advice that is to be given from a mother to her child, a king. The first is advice concerning the opposite sex. Proverbs 31.3 Do not give your strength to women or your ways to that which destroys kings. Again, it's about being a king. It's about being a person in authority. It's about being a person that's respected. It's about a person who is going to watch over his uh, dominion in a right and glorious way. Now, we don't have kings in the United States. We have presidents. And I'm going to associate each one of these lessons, where they have to do with a king, with lessons about presidents. Presidents. And the first thing I would say to you is that a mother has tremendous influence over their children even when those children grow up to be presidents. Even grow up to be presidents. Listen to the words of Abraham Lincoln. All that I am or ever hope to be, I owe to my angelic mother. Listen to the words of George, Whit- uh, George Washington. George Washington. Quote, My mother was the most beautiful woman I ever saw. All I am... I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her. George Washington. Here were presidents that were greatly influenced by their mothers. In verse 3, we find that it is possible to do things which destroy kings, which bring them down, which cause them to be less than the kind of kings they ought to be, and might actually remove them from office. Well, we've talked about Abraham Lincoln. Let's fast forward to more current times and perhaps some presidents that you can remember. Think with me for a moment about President Clinton. President Clinton, who had an affair with Monica Lewinsky. It almost cost him his presidency. 
he was, in fact, impeached in the sense that he was put on trial for perjury, lying under oath concerning an affair with this woman. He almost lost office. Well, he was able to maintain office, but he certainly lost his legacy. He lost his honor. He lost his respect. He lost the influence that he could have had because of the sexual misconduct. And here is the admonition to a king, do not give your strength to women or ways that destroy kings. It's good for mothers to teach their sons, yes, and daughters, that they need to be careful that they don't destroy their lives, their potential, their ministries through inappropriate sexual relationships. The second advice is concerning alcohol. And the admonition is, remember that it impairs judgment. Proverbs 31, verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or rulers to desire strong drink, lest they drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted, lest it causes them to enter into poor judgment. Being drunk can cause a person to manifest very poor judgment. One week before President Bush was elected into office, one week prior to that, it hit the national news as a result of a report by Aaron Felu of Maine, a Fox affiliate, WPXT-TV, in which, in which it was revealed that at the age of 30, the now President Bush, the then just George W. Bush, was arrested for driving under the influence of alcohol near his family's summer home in Kennebort, Maine, and that his license was suspended for two years. That hit the news one week before he was going to be elected president. And there was all kinds of questions as to why that was being raised now. Was that intended to torpedo his presidency? And without getting into that whole discussion, the point is that it was a problem for George W. Bush. It was a smear on his reputation. The then President Bush has said this. Bush has described his days before his religious conversion in his 40s as his, quote, nomadic, unquote, period, and, quote, irresponsible youth, unquote, and admitted to drinking too much in those years. In Fortune magazine, George W. Bush and the Making of American President by James Hatfield, Bush is quoted as saying that alcohol began to compete with my energies. I'd lose focus. Although President Bush states that he was not an alcoholic, he has acknowledged that he was drinking far too much. 
He was losing focus. He was making bad decisions. Then, in his 40s, George W. Bush made a profession of faith and uh, quit drinking alcohol. The point here is that the mother is concerned about that which is going to impair and cause the son to make poor judgments. And we certainly could broaden that out into all kinds of addictive behaviors, drug, alcohol, you name it, uh, to advise that there are consequences to these particular actions and attitudes. The third advice has to deal with the use of power. The advice is to speak on behalf of those who do not have a voice. Verse 8, open your mouth for the dumb, for the rights of the unfortunate. Now these are not people that are literally dumb, that literally cannot speak, but there are a whole host of people whose voices are not heard, who don't have the opportunity to be heard, as it were. One of the uh, descriptions of a president is that he has, quote-unquote, the bully pulpit, meaning that he can speak. He can call press conferences. He can address issues. And so the admonition is use your influence, use your ability to speak, use the power you have not to add to people's uh, hardship, but to alleviate it. I already mentioned President Abraham Lincoln as an individual whose mother greatly influenced him. But uh, we also reflect upon Abraham Lincoln as a president. A president. A president who was going through very hard and difficult times. A president that it would seem unheard of that he was going to be elected for a second term when you think of the war, when you think of all that is taking place. And everyone thought, including Abraham Lincoln, that he would never, ever be reelected. And so, what does he do in light of the coming situation? That answer to that is the Emancipation Proclamation, in which which, uh, Abraham Lincoln sets free the slaves in the South. He spoke. He spoke for those that had no voice. What could not be accomplished perhaps by war, he was going to accomplish by declaration. And he set them free. He saw a moral responsibility to do so, to speak for those that had no voice. And then the last advice is concerning seeking a spouse. Verse 10 and 11. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far more above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of of gain. She does him good, not evil, all the days of her life. Of all the advice and counsel I think a parent can give to their child, there is no greater, there is no more important There is no more life-changing decision than if that child should marry and who that child should marry. That is going to 
bring about a transformation of their lives. It's going to have tremendous implication for their ability to serve. It's going to have a tremendous implication for the rearing of their own children. It is crucial. It is crucial who a child marries. I think loads and loads and loads of time needs to be invested in teaching our little children the kind of person that they want to marry. The kind of person they should marry. And of course, I'm going to say that a believer should only marry a believer. But I want to go even a step further than that and say that a believer should only marry a dedicated believer. A person that really wants to honor and glorify and serve God. Who their mate is is going to deter, determine their future relationship with God and in the rearing of their own children. So, the kind of mother becomes very, very important. In verse 11, we find out that this woman, the heart of her husband, trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Uh, that she is a help, not a burden. She is a, a blessing, not a uh, problem. Uh, I would like to publicly say on Mother's Day that I am tremendously thankful for my wife. I believe I have a godly wife. I believe I have someone that has helped me immensely in my ministry. She's been a good example. She's allowed me a, a lot of freedom and, quite frankly, has taken a large part of the initiative in the rearing of our children. Uh, she led the family devotions, not I. Uh, she read to our children. She instructed them. She taught them. Uh, she was a help to them, uh, many times in ways that go beyond what I did. And so I am grateful for my wife and uh, her life. Who we marry, who we marry is extremely important. Uh, it's just been a little over a week, April 29th as a matter of fact, that Prince, Williams, Prince William married Kate Middleton. Uh, some of you may have watched the wedding. Certainly you're aware of the wedding. Uh, I found it interesting. Everything was on the net. And there was a question. Why do you think Kate Middleton will be a good wife to Prince William? Boy, if the answers weren't all over the place on that one. Why would Kate Middleton be a good wife to Prince William? Obviously, I don't know this woman at all. I know nothing about her. I don't know anything of her character. I have nothing ill to say about her. But let me read this one statement. And again, it's not mine, but it's a rumination. It's, it's food for thought. This person said, from what I've read in articles, many people in the United Kingdom seem to love Kate Middleton and welcome her as their next queen. But I don't get it. She doesn't seem to do anything useful with her time or money. Her parents are millionaires and 
seemed to take care of her, and therefore she quit her job and does nothing now. If my parents could take care of me like that, I would do much more, and it goes on and on and on. But it's saying that she's not industrious. Uh, she isn't goal-oriented. She's not going to be a good queen. It's interesting, Proverbs 31 says, what is a virtuous wife? She's industrious. She's goal-oriented. She is a blessing. It is no small thing. Watch the elections. We're not that far off from our next presidential election. And you will see at the conventions, you will see at the speeches, virtually without exception, the presidential candidate standing there and off to the side, his wife. And many times she is addressing the crowd as well. And she is involved in the um, campaigning. And she can be either an albatross or an incredible help. An incredible help. I already mentioned President Clinton and his um, sexual affair while he was in office. But you may remember that before he took office, it came to light that there were a number of times in which he was unfaithful in his marriage. And it looked like he was going to be done in. But do you remember Hillary Clinton doing an interview on television in which she said she forgave her husband and, quote, would stand by her man. It was really because of Hillary Clinton that Bill Clinton could become President Clinton. She proved to be a great help to him at that moment, at that time. When he needed her, she came through. We need wives that stand by us, that help us, that rear our children, that prove to be people of integrity, honest, loving, self-sacrificing, giving. Many of us are privileged to have such wives. Many of us can be thankful that we've had that kind of mother to influence us as we are growing up. And we need to instill in our children that's the kind of husband and that's the kind of wife that they ought to have too. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your grace and goodness and Lord, we, we thank you for our mother's influence. Help our mothers in all the advice and counsel that they give and may we realize the reality to a passage such as this as we think about even presidents of the United States and how the personal decisions they make could either establish them or destroy them. May we realize the personal decisions in our lives can destroy us or establish us. Help us to heed the wise, godly advice of mothers 
who dedicate their children to the honor and glory of God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.